Hi, this is Lori. Welcome to my podcast. Today, we will be at the Legacy Retirement Center and working on the Come Follow Me lesson that hits Matthew 21, 22, and 23, and the other chapters that go along in in, uh, Mark, Luke, and John. Probably won't get into all of it. It's a pretty lengthy set of scriptures, but join me as we start the triumphal entry and Jesus confronting the different scribes, elders, Pharisees, Sadducees, uh, before his death and resurrection. Good evening, brothers and sisters. Welcome to Gospel Doctrine slash Come Follow Me slash Wednesday Study Group. I am excited to be here. I know I was almost late. I wanted to give you a little bit of a scare. I, uh, I tried to go home and get something for dinner before I came, and that makes the, it's a little bit tight. So, so sorry about that. Um, interesting topic today, interesting topic, but let me start with a little bit of a story and then I'll say kind of what I think we're going to cover today. So at work, I'm on the executive team. It's a small business based here in Utah. And uh, there are only about six or seven of us in the executive team. So our executive meeting is yes, it's every Tuesday, so it's yesterday. And as we all stumbled in for the meeting, um, everyone in the group was actually a member of the church. And so two of the guys, the president and one of the other managers, is in there talking about the parable of the laborers from last time. You know, like you do at work. You're talking about a parable. And they were discussing how the parable of the laborers, you guys know this one? Um, Where guys come to work, and one guy comes in the morning, I'm going to paraphrase, and he gets paid for the day's work. Somebody comes in the afternoon, gets the same pay. Somebody comes in the evening, gets the same pay. And they were discussing how that was applied to at work, how we shouldn't be sharing compensation with each other because it makes people upset. So I stumble on that conversation, and I'm like, I am sure that is not what that parable means. Uh, and they're like, well, that's what we, and we were talking about that in my family. And then they went on and on. So I wanted to share where I was like, ah, hmm, weird. And it stuck with me, uh, even as I was preparing this lesson again today, because one thing we're really good at as members of the church is applying principles. We are great at applying. In fact, I've never seen a group of people that are so good at taking a principle from something and applying it to how it means something in their lives. It's really exceptional, right? There's a lot of meaning to what we're doing. Sometimes, however, I think with this example, we may get the wrong points out of these stories or take an application that may not have been intended. And maybe we should start with context. So you know I always start with context. But I think one of the things that's important is to try to understand what the gospel author, in this case Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, was trying to say about the scripture first, and then see what the application is. Because I'm pretty sure the parable of laborers is not about sharing compensation with your coworkers. Um, but they were positive that it did. And so, anyway, you probably got a kick out of that like I did. I was like, that's not what that means. But since it was the president, I didn't correct him. <laughs> that's not right. I totally corrected him. But I was like, no, oh, yeah, that's not what that means. Like, well, that's what we think it means. And I was like, no, no, pretty sure not. Um, so, so because of that, we have a big volume of scripture to go through today, but it's really the same story 
So we're doing Matthew 21, 22, 23. I don't even have to look them up. Luke 19 and 20. John 12, Mark 11. So six chapters, but it's the same. They're telling the same part of the story. So uh, so we can pick. I was going to stick in Matthew. I think stick in Luke. They're the longer versions. But it's a lot of it. A lot of stuff is happening in these chapters. So please, even though we're doing our study group tonight, please take a minute and, re and read through it because it's so much material we will not be able to get through it all in our 45 minutes today. Okay? So let me give you a little bit of context and then we're going to jump in and we'll do the triumphal entry video first. Okay. So we're going to watch three short videos through the course of today, uh, just to kind of read the scriptures by watching the video. But here's where we are in the story. So for the past three-ish years, I'm gonna sit for For the past three or so years, Jesus has been teaching, and mostly in the north. Do you remember what cities are kind of up in the north? Who lives up there or anything in your memory? It's, it's where he grew up. You guys know where he grew up? Jesus of? Nazareth. Yeah, exactly. Good job. Jesus of Nazareth. So he's not been in Nazareth very much, but he's been in the surrounding cities. Capernaum, Bethsaida, um, even a little bit farther north. So he's kind of been way up north by the Sea of Galilee. Way down south, about 90, 60 to 90 miles, is Jerusalem, the capital. Right? The capital. And... He hasn't, he's been there a few times. He's come down, but he always goes back up north. Well, finally, he's going to be coming down, and we're now entering the last week of Christ's mortal ministry. So this is the big culmination, and he's had this in the book of Luke. Um, it's kind of the, the big road trip. He has all these road trip stories that Luke tells as he makes his way south for the final time. But that's kind of where we are as we're, we're matching up. When he taught in the north, when he taught in Cana, Bethsaida, uh, Capernaum, do you, do you know who was he teaching? Who would you say, what kind of people was Jesus teaching? Was he teaching the high and mighty? Was he teaching regular people? Was he teaching lots of people, a few people? What, what do you think? He was teaching lots of people. He was teaching lots of people. Exactly right. He was teaching multitudes, right? Remember, he would, he would, they would like come through the roof to try to get to him, and he goes out on the boat because he's like, I can't, you guys are you're hoarding, right? I'm going to go out here on the boat so that I can speak to you. He goes up on the Sermon on the Mount, right? It's not, not the Sermon of the Small Classroom, right? Multitudes, and they're pressing on him all the time. And everywhere he goes, it's bigger and bigger and bigger. Good, good memory, good job. What kinds of people was he teaching? How would you categorize them? John's got a thought back there. Um. <coughs> you don't have a mic, but I felt like you did, President. Oh, yeah. Okay, well, anyway, the type of people that Christ was uh, teaching at this time were basically, uh, you know, the common class people, the uh, uh, the people who are more pastoral uh, things, yeah. you know, like the sheep herders and the farmer, and the people who are doing something, basically subsistence farming and sheep herding. Yeah. 
you know, that sort of thing. So they were kind of the lower classes, and, and because of that, I think they were a little more amenable because they were not, uh, you, you know, they had, they didn't have the heart set on the riches and all, uh, on seeking power, you know, like, uh, uh, like we see sometimes, like we see what happens happens yeah. today. Is, you know, yeah. the times may have changed, but people have not. That is correct, John. That is exactly right. So the common people, you and me. Well, some of you might be the high and mighty. I am not the high and mighty. Um, so the regular people, right? The regular people. Uh, when he first started his mission. His disciples that he had just recently called, four or five of them, were watching him because he told them to follow him. And so they were going to follow him and do as he did. Ah. And it says that he, Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all manner of sickness and disease among the people. And his fame went throughout Syria, and they brought into him all sick people that were taken with diverse diseases and torments, and those which were possessed of devils, and those which were lunatic, and those that had the palsy, and he healed them. And there followed him great multitudes of people from Galilee and from Decapolis and from Jerusalem and from Judea and from beyond Jordan. So it looks like his initial crowd of people were following because he was able to cure them of their torments and their diseases. Yeah, yeah, good. I, I, I think that's amazing, right? You can quote those scriptures off of his head, impressive. Um, a, a strong disciple. I think we see, just as a reminder, that he's teaching large groups that were willing to follow him, and for the most part, they're regular people, right? And they're humble people, the sheep herders, the people that are farming, the tradesmen, right? His first disciples, do you remember what their job was? Fishing, right? The first four of them are fishermen. Um, so they can tell a good story, so, I mean, yeah. so, so they're fishermen, they're regular people. They're tradesmen, um, they are regular men and women. Lots of, lots of, uh, of both uh, called on. And that's who's been teaching mostly. So it says he's been teaching and healing and preaching the kingdom. The three things it says he's been doing. And so they say that over and over. He's been preaching, teaching, healing. Preaching, teaching, healing. And now we're going to change. Yes, sir. Uh, I think it, it might be well for us to remember that he was teaching everybody. Yeah. But it was this class of people that, that began to recognize that he was different than the, than the current leaders yeah. the, that yeah. were appointed to them by Rome. Yeah. yeah. He was teaching everybody, giving them all the opportunity. Okay. But it's, it's like when the gospel message is preached in our day, the, the nations and the countries that are accepting the gospel are, the, are the, the, the poor and the needy, the downtrodden, that can actually begin to see a purpose in their lives. Good point. He was teaching everybody, he was giving everybody the opportunity, but those who mostly followed him were those who were a little more humble, right? Those who were willing to learn and to follow him. I bring that up because this week, in his last week of his life, he's going to teach and heal. You're going to see those points. But a lot of the conversations that we're going to have are specifically with the leadership. 
And we'll go through a few of those, but he, he's going to talk about the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, the Herodians. Didn't know that was a group, but there it is right in there. So there are these different political groups, these different power groups that were there, and he's talking to them. Doesn't mean we can't apply it. We can. But if we first want to understand what he was saying to them, it might, it's a little bit, it was helpful for me. When I went back through some of these parables, I was like, who, what? And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, he's answering this question. So just a little bit of that, okay? Okay, good. Let's do the triumphal entry, and we'll go through uh, and watch that on the video and see, you know the story, but we're picking up basically right at the beginning of Matthew 21 or Luke 19. They both start with this triumphal entry story. about right there. It might be a little... It'll be just a little yeah. bit further. Go back. Up. It'll be before this. They're kind of chronological, so let me see if I can play some. Keep going. It's right around here. There, right. there we go. Sorry, everybody. Here you go. <coughs> You guys okay to hang out for a second? It's better if it shows a story than I read it.
central to the beliefs of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is their concept of God the Father, His Son, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit. Why not a horse? Why not? He just walked, I mean, he walked everywhere else. We, 
notice how many times have you ever heard Jesus taking any kind of transportation? A boat. Or he walks. Can you think of any other? No one's carrying him. He's not on some kind of pelican or a litter. He's not riding horses. He's not in a cart. He walks. So why is he now with a colt? Oh, hold on, don't answer yet. Have we think about it? Okay, so we've got one in the back and then we'll come back to her. Hold up, hold up a sec. John? Well, I think we had this discussion before why he came in on a colt instead of like a horse. A horse is kind of a symbol of war. Yeah. And that when he came in on a colt, of course, it was a fulfillment of prophecy, I think, from Zechariah. Who's Zechariah? But also at the same time, I, uh, in that prophecy, it indicated that the Messiah would come in on a colt. I'm sure it's a symbol of, you know, peace and humility versus that of war. Yeah, good. So two things there. One, it was prophesied in Zechariah, and if you look, it's not Zechariah 9 9. And it says that the Messiah would come enter his city uh, on a donkey and on a colt. Never ridden. Okay, do we have a thought up here? Same, same thing? Okay, same thing. And then we have another thought. You guys, I like it. Keep it up. What else? And this is, this is the animal that kings rode. It is the animals that certain kings rode. You're exactly right, right? Solomon writes this when he, his first day after he's anointed and made, coronated as the king, he rides a donkey into Jerusalem, okay? So it's, it's certain kings, and like John pointed out, the one we usually know is it's not a king of war on a chariot or a horse. It's, it's on a donkey. In fact, this idea of this, this prophecy of a donkey, the prophecy of the colt and the donkey was so strong in this period of time based on that Zechariah scripture, that it was said that if you even dreamed of a donkey, that when you woke up, you just better count the blessings. That you would, it's a sign of God's favor. So it, it is such a strong symbol and sign from God for them in those days that it would have been very impressive. Can you think of any sign or symbol today that would be as strong to say that you were a leader or you were sent from God? Because we don't say, riding on a donkey, whoa, right? We just spent 10 minutes explaining it. And you won't remember it next time unless you're drunk. So is there, is there some other thing that we can think of that says if, if someone, what symbol would we have today that would be as strong that means that you were sent from God or you were a leader, maybe a political leader, anything you can think of? I couldn't think of it. I couldn't think of any, right? It's like, oh, clearly that guy, that guy. Right? She's, she's in charge. The president comes in on the plane. On yeah, he comes in Air Force One, right? Yeah, he comes flying in on Air Force Marine One, and you'd be like, well, that must be somebody important, right? Yeah, the Pope's in his little Pope mobile with the little glass dome. You're like, well, that guy must be important. So it's something similar to that. But Zechariah prophesied of it, and it was so popular, that idea, that it, it would have been shocking. It would have been striking, right? So this guy rides in, and everybody knew who he was. So everybody knows about Jesus. They know he's coming down, the multitudes. And here he comes riding the horse. And they're like, hey, we know there's a prophecy that God himself will take over. And we have a prophecy that the Messiah will make things right for our people, right, politically. So they're like, whoa, right? This is it. So they get their palm branches, right? 
and they're shaking them, and they get their clothes, like we're gonna lay them down, and he rides the donkey in. Yeah. He's being treated as, he is being treated as a king. He's, he's being greeted as the king. Yes. Yeah, exactly right. Do you remember what they shout when he comes in? Have you heard that shout anywhere else? Where, where have we heard a shout called the Hosanna shout? Where is it? The temple? The temple dedications. How is that the same? Or is it? How is the Hosanna shout and the temple dedication the same as this? Hosanna shout. Yeah. But, uh, I was going to say that the Sanhedrin was watching everything and they scrapped the uh, officials told Jesus, stop these people from doing this. Yeah, and he says. They, everybody knows what this means. Now this guy's trying to pull one over on you. And they said, well, they were afraid to, to go against the multitude, but they came to Christ and they said, what authority? Okay, so we're going to get there. Let's not go there yet, but you're exactly right. But I love the part that you just said. They say the Sanhedrin, right, the rulers, hey, you got to tell these people to cool it. You can't do all the shouting and this Messiah, this Hosanna. Yeah. And they say, if I closed it down, the yeah. rocks themselves would shout, yeah. right? He said, uh, what authority do you have to do this? And he said, I will answer your question if you will answer one of mine. And they said, well, what is it? And he said, uh, John the Baptist, when he baptized, was this from God or was this from man? And the people from the Sanhedrin knew that, God, that John the Baptist had a great deal of following and they wouldn't want to go against them. And they knew that if they said that he was true, Jesus would say, well, why then didn't you follow him yeah. and do as he said? And if they say he's not true, well, he would cause a problem with yeah. people. Yeah, catch 22. <laughs> catch 22. Good job. Did you guys uh, remember the, thank you, question before, how is the Hosanna shout here similar to the Hosanna shout, or is there? Hold on, John. Let's see if anybody else. Anybody else? <coughs> Well, do you guys know what Hosanna means? It's Hebrew. Save us now. Save now. Save us now. Okay? Save us right now. Save me. That's what it means. So you're saying, save me, save me, save us now. Okay? Why, why would we say that at, the, at a temple? Does a temple have anything to do with saving or the arrival of the Savior? That's exactly what it means. And here comes the king into his capital, and they're saying, save us, save us, save us now, right? They know who he is, and they know what power he has, right? They're not saying, yay, conquer our enemies, save us, right? The whole idea, yeah. No, I'm just going to say, the Hosanna shout at the end is for God and the Lamb. Yeah, for God and the Lamb. Okay, that makes it a little more poignant, doesn't it? <laughs> All right, all right, interesting points. Yes, yes, ma'am, and then we'll go back to John. And the 
and but we're asking the Lord to, you know, accept accept our offering. offering. Ah, accept our offering. Yeah, I like that too, right? You're like here. Right. I'm, I'm coming to the temple, or I'm bringing my we're sacrifice. Grateful. We're grateful for this wonderful thing that's happened. This to us. This temple, this connection of heaven and earth, this place where the saving and the atonement takes place, right? All these things together. All of them together, heaven and earth are finally one. It's here, save us now. Save us now. And here comes Christ, the embodiment of heaven and earth, the fulfillment of all of the atonements, the prophecies, everything. And here he is. It's the same thing. Save us now. He's here. He's here. And I love it because it's so ebullient. It's exciting. It's, it's not downcast. It is hooray, right? It is a party. John, do you have a thought back there? Well, I, you know, I, I just kind of want to agree with everything else that's been said ahead of me, but also people have to remember that after all, the temple is, is the Lord's house. And when, and when, when they had the Hosanna shout, and the waving of the, uh, the, the handkerchiefs, that's like the, the waving of the palm lights. Right? And How cool is that? Did you guys know that? <laughs> when you do your handkerchief? Oh, yeah. It's like your little palm leaves. <laughs> you know, You're never going to look at that the same way. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. Church is true. You know, a short one reenacted. That, you know, that one scene from the New Testament with Christ triumphal entry into Jerusalem or Christ's triumphal entry into his own house. His house. Awesome, isn't it? All right. Wow, this is this is awesome stuff. Uh, I had a class from uh, Brother Wilcox, and he, in his book, House of Glory, relates that experience as being a, an avid fan, and any avid fan cannot remain seated when you make a goal against your enemy. <laughs> Yeah, and you have to shake anything you got in your hand. So I'm gonna say I like that. And so stand we're up, yeah. Hosanna for another goal against Satan. I like that. Isn't that true? Don't you feel that? So when we read this story, or you're at the, a temple dedication, a lot of them now, you know, they do a couple of remote ones every once in a while. Um, they, it's awesome, right? It's awesome. We get to reenact this story. We're doing the exact same this story and. Christ coming to his temple, right? Hosanna, 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 right? Save us, yes. So pretty exciting, pretty exciting stuff. That's what the people react to. That's what the people react to. Now, how's Jesus reacting to this? The video doesn't show this as much, but um, it does show that he's weeping uh, in one of the, the uh, stories. Uh, he knows what's coming next, and he knows that the people um, in just a few short years will be destroyed and the city will be destroyed. They won't all follow. He knows that it's a little bit of a mixed bag, right? So he knows what's going to happen, but for now, it's a, it's an exciting story. Should we move on a little bit? You guys okay to move on? Yes. Have we drained the swamp? One more back here. And Ron, let's do There well. have been other the times in this dispensation where the Hosanna shout has been performed or has been honored uh-huh. other than temple dedications. Oh, yeah. Can you such think of, as uh-huh. the dedication of the conference center. Uh, interesting. So it is, I believe, by in knowing that, 
it would be for anywhere where the Lamb of God would walk. Good. I like that. It makes me think of another time when Hosanna is said. Can anybody think of a time maybe in the Book of Mormon where Hosanna is shouted by the people? Third Nephi 11, when Jesus arrives in the Americas? Right? Did I make that up? Or is that there? Let's look it up. We should probably do the Book of Mormon a little more often, but it's not in my divinity school. They don't tend to quote from the Book of Mormon very much. I've quoted from it a few times. They haven't caught me yet. Well, Lori, look at what they're missing. You know, it's true. It's true. They're good people. Uh, did I did I remember that, or did I make that up? I thought they shouted Hosanna. President, do you know that reference? What? Hosanna shout, Jesus arrives in America's. She says, Hosanna, save us now. All right, well, that's your homework. Oh, there it is right there. It's 3rd Nephi 11, 17. So I didn't make it up. Woo! Close. You, you guys could have stopped. You could have just said, yeah. No. Um, and it says, uh, it came to pass the multitude went forth. They all thrust their hands in his side. Each person comes and, and witnesses Christ going forth one by one. And then when they had all gone forth and witnessed for themselves, they did cry out with one accord saying, Hosanna. Blessed be the name of the most high God. And they did fall down at the feet of Jesus and worship him. Cool, huh? He shows up to his temple there in the land bountiful and the same thing. So I think it goes right along with what we're saying. It's something where Christ is there, right? Where Christ is, is in our midst. Really cool. Really cool stuff. So, man, you can, there's just too much to study. Isn't that exciting? Learn anything yet? I did. Okay. I now know it's 3rd Nephi 11, 17. Okay. So let's do the next part of the story. So he gets there. Uh, they welcome him as their king and they say Hosanna to the son of David blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord Hosanna to the highest very similar very similar to the third Nephi account and then um, he, he does a few things next so one of the next things he does after that triumphal entry is this scene now as we watch this you know this story you know the story but I want you to be thinking why does Jesus do this next? Is it immediately next? We don't know, but it's close enough. Why, after his triumphal entry, does he do this? All right, let's... Yeah, God cleanses the temple. Yes, yeah, that's exactly right. So... That is strange. It's not linking, isn't it? There it goes. It'll load. Give it a second.
I think in this right here, he's calling out the, the chief priests and the yeah. Sadducees and the Pharisees. He's letting them know that, boys, uh, time to clean it there's up. A, there's a new player in town. Yeah. And it's time that in a time that the people understood that he was there to stay, that he wasn't just going to walk around in the in the smaller cities and the smaller towns. That he was in Jerusalem. And he's in charge. He's cleaning out his father's house. This isn't, he's not asking someone if he can do this, right? He marches in. Uh, Brent had a thought. Just to bring this up to date, I just thought that this movie needed to have more dickering going on in the temple <laughs> because I. I thought of Elder Holland's talk um, just before Saffron meeting how loud and boisterous we are as we visit and we're in the Father's house to take the sacrament and I think he brings us right up to snuff mm -hmm. as to remember that this is the important thing we're here for and many of us are just there for something else. Right, I like that. One of the things that would have stood out to them, or at least a lot of them, was that he's almost directly quoting from another uh, prophet, another prophet. And that prophet stood in the same place and he says, like, I should just, instead of paraphrase, I should just quote it. Um, so, it's almost always the big three, Jeremiah, or Isaiah, or um, Ezekiel, thank you. Went right out of my head. Who's that big third? Okay. Um, the Lord says unto Jeremiah, Stand in the gate at the Lord's house and proclaim his word and say, Hear the word of the Lord, all ye of Judah. You can imagine him shouting. And enter into these gates. And thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. Lord of hosts, Arminus. Amend your ways and your doings. I'm going to paraphrase this. I'm going to translate it myself. And I will cause you, you, do better, fix your ways, and you can dwell here in my home. Right? Trust not the lying words. Uh, well, I don't have my glasses. I meant your way. Trust not my lying words, saying the temple, but the temple's the temple of the Lord. The temple, the temple, the temple's going to be okay. It's not just about the temple. He says, thoroughly amend your ways and your doings. Figure it out, people. If you execute judgment between a man and a neighbor, if you oppress a stranger, if you beat up on the widow and the fatherless and shed innocent blood and you worship other gods, can't come here. So he stands in the exact same place that prophet stood and said, amend your ways. It isn't just the temple's here and it will all work out. You have to change and unless we change, it doesn't matter. Do you think they knew that reference? Absolutely they knew that reference. We don't know that reference, but they know that reference. Isaiah also has a good reference. Isaiah 56, 7 and 8, calling out the same thing, that he would come and do this thing and cleanse his temple. Okay, So he's coming in and he's saying, hey, not just leaders. It's going to be particularly hard on the corrupt leadership, but he's going to say, it's not about I just did the actions. Not about I just went through the motions. I took the sacrament, I went on a mission, I did my ministering, sometimes I knit. It's about 
Change who you are here, right? Change who you are inside. And I'll see that with how you treat each other. Right? I'll see that with how you help the fatherless and the widow, the, the most marginalized in the society. When you come to the... Isn't our body a temple, a, a place for the spirit, for the spirit to dwell? Is, uh, and that's why we're here on earth. Yeah. To improve ourselves and then uh, yeah. graduate into... The next step, right? Right. Yeah, and I think it's we have to change here. So he's saying, hey, when I come to my temple, I have to make it a temple for everyone. I've got to change who I am inside. One of the things the money changers do as well is sometimes we get a little bit caught up in they were um, making money, which is they called money changers. <laughs> but like we pointed out, it was necessary for them to use temple coins so they weren't idolatrous money with people's faces and things. There were all kinds of rules about it. So some of that needed to happen. But what was happening is they made it very difficult for regular people to worship. They made it expensive. They made it hard to get there. They, it's like they made the temple with no walker parking. So you couldn't come. And he's saying, you guys are taking advantage so people can't worship at the temple. You have made it so that you're stealing other people's worship as well. So a lot, a lot packed in there, a lot packed in there. But Jeremiah, don't forget your Jeremiah scripture and your Isaiah scripture, but someone, the Lord is gonna come to his temple and he's saying, change your ways. Change your ways. So that's what he says, okay, I'm here now. I'm gonna wipe the slate clean, okay? Now next, he does something next. Um, let's go back to Matthew. We're about out of time, so let's do a little multiple choice. I mean, you get to pick what we talk about next. Um, he then drives them out, and uh, then he, he leaves for the day. People, the leaders are mad. But then he uh, leaves for the day, and he comes to a, a bunch of bunch of parables. So the next couple chapters of this in your study are going to be mostly focused on the leadership who's now going to attack him. So we heard one of the stories, but he's, they're going to come and they're going to try to trap him, trick him, um, pin him down in his words. And so a lot of these parables are directed to them. Directed them. We potentially could be those people. But these parables are directed to those who are more corrupt, or they're trying to trap them, and he's going to explain a principle. Okay, so remember that when you read the next few chapters. Some of the parables are um, the parable of, let's see if I can remember them. Um, the parable, I get the names wrong on all these parables. You know, different people call these parables different things. Yeah, they do. Um, so at Bible school, they're all called something different. So they're not called the parable of the young man, the parable of the vineyard. They're all called the parable of something else. So I'm always like, is that the one? And I've noticed that they never know what reference I'm making. So I should just tell them, is that the one? Uh, is that the parable of the wild allegory of Jacob? Yeah, we should do that one. Okay, anyway. There's one of the two sons and the vineyard. You guys know this one? The two sons come, and they say, and they're saying, well, they say, hey, uh, the parable of John, they said, why John the Baptist? Do you even believe John the Baptist? Which one is right? They kind of pin him down. And he goes, well, I have a story for you. There are two sons. 
guy has two sons and he's got a vineyard. And he tells his first son, I want you to go work in the vineyard. And he says, nah, I don't want to do it. And he does. But the second son comes and he says, I want you to go work in the vineyard. And the second son, second son says, you bet. Doesn't do it. Which one obeyed the father? The first one, right? And it's like he's going to trap him. Duh, the first one. And then he says, yeah. So those, the publicans, the harlots, those people that did the work, that changed, that repented, they'll get the repentance. And then he says, so John taught all those people and they changed. Where were you? Right? Where were you? Um, so that's the first one. Thoughts? Some of these are like zingers. I mean, they're like, take that. Ah! So Jesus just takes the gloves off on these stories. I mean, he is skating. He is tough. He just, ah! so if you don't catch that, call me and I will reenact them for you because they are aggressive. And he goes, here's another one. In fact, here's another one. Um, there was the householder, you know this one, with the vineyard. And again, I don't remember the, member, the names of them. So this householder, he makes a vineyard, and he, he plants it. He puts a tower and a hedge, and it's, it's really awesome. And then he hires some people to work it. And they, they start working it. They're the husbands, right? And they, they, take, uh, they, they start working it, and the, the landowner sends his servants back and says, hey, check out, my, check out my vineyard, see how it's doing. And they beat him up. They beat him up. And then the landowner's like, what? They beat you up? He says, well, you know, this time I'm going to send my son, because at least they're not going to beat up the son. And they, he sends his son, and then how do the people that live there, how do they handle it? They're like, well, we could beat him up and we could take what's his. We could take the inheritance. We could take the vineyard. And they, they, they beat him up, um, and then they kill him. They kill him. I know, these are the worst stories. Can you imagine if you're like the Pharisees? Wait, what? And then the Lord of the vineyard comes, the owner. You, you beat up my servants. You killed my son. And then he shows up and it says, I will miserably destroy those wicked men. And I will let out this vineyard to others. Because you couldn't handle You couldn't handle it. What's, what in the world? Is he talking about a vineyard? People that were bad with grapes. Who's he talking to? He's talking to them, right, first. And then he's going to talk to us. You're the leaders. I gave you this earth and this vineyard with the flock of the saints. And you were in the ancient time. And you were supposed to take care, care of it. Who are the servants? Who are the people that come and bring the, the Father's message to the people? They would be the prophets. They would be the prophets. And they beat them up. Then he sends his son. Who's the son? The son, that is correct, that's thinly veiled. And they kill him. And so when the Lord comes, is he going to go, good job, leaders of Israel? No. He's going to give the vineyard to someone else. Who does he give the vineyard to? You. <laughs> he gives it to us, the Gentiles. Go Gentiles. Right? If you guys couldn't handle it, I'll give it to somebody who can. How do you think the leadership, do you think the leadership of of Israel, do they, you think they understood what he was saying with the story? No. Yeah, because they kill him for it. They knew exactly what he was saying. They're like, you are. They're they're having like a political battle of the paddle of the parables, right? So instead of saying you guys are corrupt and you're evil, I'm gonna tell a story about some people 
that are just like you. What? Not? And then they kill them, and they're going to kill them later this week in the story. Spoiler alert. Right? We know that Jesus dies. So they knew exactly what he was saying, but he was not mincing words. He's going to, the first parable, he's going to give the kingdom, the vineyard, to those people who work it, whether they come early or late, whether they were the son that said no and changed their mind, or however, right? The ones that repent, the ones that work hard, it doesn't matter when or if you change your mind, what matters is where you are right now. So it's not that the leaders are going to get it. It's going to get the publicans and the harlots, the ones that are willing to change. And then let's talk about the leaders. They're the ones that killed all my prophets, and they're going to kill me. So you guys are doing a great job. You're like, oh, scathing, oh, burn. Jesus is good with those. So you're like, oh, tough. Um, so then he goes on to those. Brothers and sisters, we're out of time. But there are like six more. Six more. So as you go through these parables, um, you're going to see the parable of the marriage and the king's son, paying to Caesar, marriage, um, and love the Lord your God. You're going to see a lot more of these stories, but they're all in the same timeline, right before his death and resurrection. Okay? Any other questions or thoughts on this? Brother and sister, I love the scriptures. I am so grateful I get a chance to share them with you, but I'm especially grateful for our Savior and how he saves me, he saves us, and it is my deepest desire uh, that he will save us now. And I say that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thank you.